Chapter 2 of A History of Astronomy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adrian Stevens. A History of Astronomy by Walter W. Bryant. Chapter 2 The Eastern Nations of Antiquity. We may safely put aside the improbable tradition mentioned by Josephus that the immediate descendants of Seth were comparatively advanced astronomers who recorded the state of the science on monuments intended to survive the expected deluge, one of which is said to have not only done so, but to have been still existing in Syria in the time of that credulous historian but it will be as well briefly to glance at the pretensions of the four oriental nations referred to in the last chapter, insofar as they claim priority in scientific astronomy. Chinese records tell of conjunction of five planets about 2500 BC and of a solar eclipse in Scorpio, 2159 BC, about which it is said that the government astronomers Ho and He were beheaded for failing to predict it. They further relate that, as early as 2857 BC, the emperor recommended the study of astronomy and made it an important subject, and that a later emperor caused complete astronomical records to be destroyed, but there is internal evidence of the untrustworthiness of such annals. Even in historic times, the records are often entirely absurd, as... For instance, those commemorating, respectively, a cloudless night without stars, and a star as large as the moon, to say nothing of the fact that there is a gap of 1383 years between the first two eclipses, and that none of them, with one doubtful exception, can be identified earlier than the time of Ptolemy. We can admit that the early Chinese astronomers observed eclipses from very early times, but it is certain that we owe them practically nothing beyond a determination of the obliquity of the ecliptic about 1100 BC at Luoyang, which confirms the secular diminution of that obliquity. The fact appears to be that the Jesuits who settled at Peking in the 17th century taught the Chinese more astronomy than they ever knew before, but that the wily celestials bluffed the Jesuits by producing records of past occurrences concocted by calculating backwards, or misled them by falsifying the dates of real ones, expressed in characters unintelligible to the foreigners. This seems to be the simplest way of reconciling the obvious sincerity of the belief of the Jesuits with the extreme improbability of its justification. A parallel case, totally irrelevant, however, I heard from an old military officer who was employed in Syria at the time of the trouble about the Druzes. When the war office objected to the amount of his claim for horse hire and demanded vouchers, after first suggesting that he ought to have taken a cab, he turned out from his baggage a number of scraps of paper, washing bills possibly, with some sort of marks on them, and forwarded them in the perfectly justifiable belief that an official who suggested cabs on Mount Lebanon would most certainly be nonplussed by the hieroglyphics. Indian astronomy is different in that it possesses a system of its own, 
with tables and rules for calculation, the basis of which claims to be a conjunction of the sun, moon, and planets in 3102 BC. The tables give fairly good results and are evidence of considerable advance in science, but as the conjunction in 3102 BC certainly never took place, the antiquity of the tables is open to grave doubt, and it is confidently asserted by some that they are not older than the Mohammedan invasion of India. Whether they date from either of these epochs or from some intermediate one, it is quite likely that they were imparted by the Brahmins or by some other people and adapted by them to their peculiar methods. And even admitting the antiquity claimed for India as the cradle of all the arts and sciences, it is certain that astronomy, as we understand it in England, did not come from there or receive any aid whatever from that source. Egyptian astronomy, again, lays claim to high antiquity, and the evidence freely adduced here, though almost entirely circumstantial, is at any rate interesting. Much has been written as to the astronomical meaning of the Great Pyramid, and it is often assumed that its age can be certainly fixed by the circumstance that, at some distant period, a bright star, now some distance from the pole, was near enough to be used for the pole star, and that its altitude, at one of its culminations, would then have enabled it to be observed through a long shaft-like opening in the northern face of the pyramid. It is also freely asserted that Egyptian temples were oriented to the rising points of certain stars, and if sufficient latitude be given for an inexact observation of a star, some star can usually be found which at some distant date might have answered the purpose. But in general, it seems there is no direct evidence to connect any particular temple with any particular star, and even in the case of Sirius, whose identification in Egyptian mythology is less uncertain, there remains the doubt as to the altitude at which the observation would be taken. Another claim on behalf of Egypt is the tradition of the Greeks as to the long records of Egyptian observations. But as this is only a tradition, and as none of the Greek astronomers made use of any such observation, we may safely conclude that none were to be found, and that either none were taken or recorded, so that the tradition can only be explained on the pride of race hypothesis, since the Greeks claimed an Egyptian origin, or that the records had perished, in which case they cannot be said to have contributed anything more than Indian or Chinese annals to the progress of astronomy. There remains Chaldea, and here we are on rather firmer ground, for besides the probability inferred from its proximity to the traditional cradle of the human race, there is the undoubted fact that the earliest observations used by Ptolemy were three eclipses observed at Babylon in 721 and 720 BC. There is, moreover, indirect evidence that, in those regions, the constellations as known to the Greeks, and, with various additions, still in use, were first mapped out, as all of them would have been visible there about 2000 BC, while some constellations, visible further south as in India or Egypt, were not named so soon. 
This hypothesis rests upon the established fact of precession. Be that as it may, the progress made in astronomy by the Chaldeans and Babylonians was not very great, as they made very little advance in theory. But reasoning from analogy, which associated certain celestial phenomena with certain facts of common life, seed-time, harvest, equinoctial gales, and so on, they were diverted from the track of science and endeavoured to connect other less periodic phenomena with other less periodic and less certain facts of life. Hence arose the so-called science of astrology, which, though long ago discredited, still finds some votaries. It was, however, necessary for the purposes of astrologers to have a fairly correct idea of the motions of the planets and the cycles of other celestial phenomena, so that observations were still taken which might have had great astronomical value. It is, moreover, generally conceded that the Oriental mind, though capable of great achievements in the manipulation of numbers, was not adapted for the kind of philosophical speculation in which the Greeks excelled, and that observations would, in Eastern hands, have produced very little theory. The Babylonian priests are said to have told Alexander the Great that their astronomical records went back 403,000 years. A very plausible explanation of this is that at the rate of diminution of the obliquity of the ecliptic, which they might have ascertained on the erroneous assumption that the rate was constant, they had worked back to the date at which the obliquity would have been a maximum, i.e. a right angle, which has been verified within a few years of the vast period given. If this is the case, there is a family likeness between this and the planetary conjunctions of the Indian and Chinese systems. But we must hasten on to still firmer ground. End of chapter 2